We are so thankful that Dr. Dylan Barnes decided to cap off his sweet weekend in Ulsan with us. Dylan is a middle and high school computer science teacher at the Busan Foreign School and is a familiar face in the local hockey rinks and photography scene. Listen as he details his career path from undergrad to achieving a doctorate in curriculum and instruction. Dylan humbly acknowledges his academic prowess and attributes a large portion of his success to his parents who raised him with the tools necessary to overcome these difficult obstacles. This was a very enlightening episode for me and provided another example that anything in life is attainable if you have the grit to endure the hardships. Dylan, thank you so much for coming. That time of year is here. You know the time. Resolution limbo. Between January 1st and Lunar New Year's, that time when you still feel all right about not hitting the gym and still feel that ripping a couple darts is okay, let me tell you, that is totally fine. However, if you haven't started on your resolution to start practicing your English conversation skills, this is completely unacceptable. Whether it's you, a coworker, your company, your grandma, or the guy who fixes your grandma's stroller that she walks a dog in, literally anyone, Dr. English has the right program for you. Dr. English is an all-in-one online English learning platform. The qualified native speakers can help you start your journey to English fluency today. Enjoy learning from the comfort of your own home. Call 010-4591-1496 for a free sample class. Open your doors to endless opportunities. Take your English to the next level by visiting their website now at www.dr-english.com. You are now tuned into This Korean Life with your hosts, Brian and Nate. Welcome back to another episode of This Korean Life, number 60 with Dr. Dylan Barnes. Welcome. You're the guest celebrity in Ulsan this uh, <laughs> this weekend. Yeah, this is the most amount of time I spent in Ulsan, I think, uh, in all the years I've been here. In all four years. <laughs> three three days in a row. Are you ready to uh, pack your bags and move on over? Or what? Uh, I don't know no, about yet. No, uh, he's I, probably loving it. Yeah. It usually just comes for a Friday night beatdown and <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> then he doesn't come back. So yeah. seeing the other side of Ulsan is probably fun. Yeah, it's nice seeing it in the daylight, that's for sure. <laughs> no doubt. So you're down here, you're, you're playing hockey, shooting some picks with the with JT there, and now you come in here for the for the culminating experience. First thing I want to uh, to ask you about is about your your doctorate degree. We had Danny Kessler in here earlier. Do you know Kess? No, 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 no. Well, you guys haven't met. No, you only two doctors in the <laughs> in Busan no. oh, really? the, um, but he he did his and he made a strong uh, a strong argument why everyone should pursue one what uh, what was your experience what what was your uh, what made it click what, what made you pull the trigger on staring down the barrel of a three-year or three years yeah it took Two, three years three, yeah, yeah, three uh, a three-year project like that um I mean I guess it it just started from how I was brought up my my dad grew up in Brooklyn and he's just like a hard nose, like uh, grind to the stone kind of guy. Mm. And he worked for New York City Sanitation mm-hmm. for 25 years. And he was just one, like just one of those blue collar workers that just worked his tail off and yeah. never spoke about it. And when it came to things like sports or education, it was just one of those things where it's like I graduated high school and he's like, all right, well, where are you going to college? Yeah. And then I graduated my bachelor's and he's like, all right, well, go get your master's. You yeah. know, it was like. 
he, we celebrated, but at the same time, you knew that, like, you're going to do the next step. Yeah. Like, that was just always expected. So, cool. um, that was just one of those things. And, um, uh, when I, when I went and did it, uh, it was supposed to be like a hybrid program mm. and, uh, it was mostly online, but I, uh, I really enjoyed it. Like I didn't, education for me didn't really click until my third year of my undergrad. Mm. So I was a, <laughs> I was a C, B, low A student, uh, pretty average, but I also didn't put all my effort in. Mm. Um, I really enjoyed baseball when I was younger and, uh, probably took up more time than it, than it should have. But, uh, third year at university, things kind of kicked into gear. And that was when me and my family moved from New Jersey down to Florida. Mm. And I, I started my third year of undergrad at uh, University of South Florida in Tampa. Mm. And I finished that and I had a couple of really good professors. And I just, uh, I realized that I really liked and cared about education. Mm. And uh, I found that through just wanting to learn, Mm. that it was just it was just a really nice experience it's really rewarding you did your your master's directly after finishing your undergrad and your or sorry your your phd consecutively you did yeah so i think i finished my undergrad in 2011 mm -hmm. uh and then i took a year off and then i think in a year and a half i completed my master's degree mm -hmm. and then a year after that i went and started my doctorate really yeah. holy man that's uh that there's what 15 years between my between the the starting of my math or maybe 13 years after undergrad and i had the same kind of same problems man not I, I didn't enjoy anything that i was that i was studying and it and it took years for it to finally to finally click so no uh no regrets obviously doing the the phd no no uh and with that, I guess like uh, just doing it early was nice because mm. I'm in a I was in a program where I was one of the younger people in mm. it, obviously, and you know everybody's got kids and families, and mm. the the only resource that they don't yeah. have is time, mm. you know. And I was very lucky to have that amount of time and be able to right. do that while working. And you have to be working, you know, to be admitted into those programs. You have to be teaching. Yeah. You have to be actively practicing. And, um, yeah, but now what I feel like I'm doing is is I haven't really done any research since my dissertation, mm. but now I feel like I'm catching up to all those other people who already have all those years of experience, right? right? Because you can't have a doctorate and be, you know, uh, 28, you know, less than 30 mm. and walk into some school and be like, I'm going to be the superintendent. Right. It, just, it doesn't work that way, <laughs> sure. right? So now I'm really just kind of focusing on, you know, fostering relationships and, and making sure that I'm being like, you know, the best version professional and personal mm. you know of myself that i can be uh as a teacher so i always wondered how like how you can complete a master's without having any experience i don't think i would have any idea what i'm what can you what can you write I was, about i was i was gonna i was gonna ask like a lot of it's reflected i did now. mine later i was 30 35 maybe 34 right. when i did my master's and i thought <clears throat> you know i i had a vision and I had a goal and I was focused. And like you said, it took you till third year of your, your undergraduate to realize, I think that's pretty common for a lot of, for a lot of yeah, people yeah, yeah, yeah. because we're kind of channeled into this, this groove that, you know, we're not, it's not comfortable for everyone doesn't learn the same way. Right. So once you finally find what you do like and you do want to learn, it becomes a lot easier. And I chose to do my master's at 35. Nobody forced me, pressured me, expected right. me. I just did it. And that's why I think I enjoyed doing it at that point. 
but I was going to say something along the same lines. How do you, or what would your experience be if you, if you did it, you know, 10 years later? Right. Um, when you had the, a lot of the experience, do you think it would be easier or a completely different perspective or experience or what? I, I don't, that's a good question. I, I find that, and this kind of traverses a, a few things that I do and kind of my philosophy on things, but there's an element of, of creativity within limitation, right? So not having all of the experiences, then I wouldn't know what to pick to write about. But at that situation, and we'll probably talk more about this, but my dissertation was on teacher satisfaction. And at that moment in time, you know, I was working in a a charter school, which is essentially like a a private public school. Mm. And, And that's something you see every day. And something you might hear about every day is, you know, how happy teachers are. And, and that's a, you know, that's a relative experience, but that's, that's everywhere. And uh, that, that one kind of spoke to me. And I thought that was, that was easy to write about, but I had the same problem where there wasn't a lot of things to choose from. So I remember being in those first, you know, doctoral classes thinking, what am I going to write about? Um, I'm a techno at that time I was a middle school technology teacher. And I was like, am I going to write about, you know, the effect on STEM learning? But there's already a lot of research about that. I'm right. not I'm not creating anything novel. But, right. You know, um, and that's that that was booming. So it was like, I'm just I might be contributing to a saturated market. Throwing stuff you know? on the pile. Yeah. Exactly. Right. I never thought about um, a doctorate or, or the purpose of, of doing one. Right. And talking with a Korean friend here who's taken years to to complete his his big thing is what he wants to contribute to his kind of field. Can you speak to your contribution to to the the field of education? Yeah, mm. um, I mean, in terms of the my dissertation, I mm. just kind of I focused on teacher satisfaction mm. in charter schools, yeah. which uh, there's hundreds of charter schools in every state back mm. in in the U.S. and um, because they're privately run mm. but supplemented with public funds. Um, you know, they're not typically the charter is like an agreement of basically like the government saying, we'll leave you alone as long as you meet X benchmark. Right. Exactly. Right. These benchmarks, these standards. And so they're kind of left alone to their own devices, which leads to a lot of charter schools failing either financially or, you know, not having enough enrollment. Um, essentially you gotta, you know, you still gotta, your students still have to take the state test Mm. and they have to pass it. Right. So, um, but because they're privately run, like there's no, there's no teachers unions Mm. for charter schools. Uh, so there's not a lot of voice and, uh, yeah, there's not a lot of teacher voice for Mm. these schools. So I thought it would be interesting to just kind of see, you know, with this certain level of autonomy that the schools have, which is also kind of subsequently passed down to the teachers because Mm. of the nature of the school, are they happier? Mm. You know, do they enjoy their jobs? Because there, there's such a, a spectrum of either being really good as a charter school or mm. being really bad. But I feel like the public schools, while there are good and bad, I feel like that spectrum is a little bit more limited. Like mm. it, it's smaller. Yeah. You don't have such serious outliers. Yeah. So who who starts these chartered schools? Uh, so the charter school that I work Just some for, kid's rich dad starts it or how does it work? I mean, it, it, it could be, uh, mm-hmm. but... The one that I worked for was made by two teachers who worked in the previously in the same district in which they created the school, which wow. was a, a small county in you know hmm. the west side of Florida. And what are, what are some of the biggest differences or benefits 
or, or compare if you can compare just the public school. I mean, the private schools are are high end, if we say, but between chartered and public school, what are some of the major differences? Right. Or, or the student populations or. Right. So even with public schools these days is a lot of schools will incur like activity costs or lab costs for the science to kind okay. of make up for lost money. Um, but private schools, obviously, you're paying thousands of dollars in sure. tuition. However, the, the charter schools still get that public money. So they get funded like a public school. They could incur more costs. But uh, again, it, it depends on the charter school. It, it's totally up to them. So the one where I worked, <clears throat> for example, we only had 120 students, grades oh. six through eight only. Oh. And so it was like, uh, let's just say two Two classes, two groupings of sixth grade, two groupings of seventh grade, and a group of eighth grade. One day a week, uh, each day of the week, one group would be out on a field trip. And that's what made the program special. Is So wow. if I'm in sixth grade group one, every Monday, I get to go out on a trip. Wow. Okay. So either that could be that, that would make and, a lot of kids sign up. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of kids sign up, but it's, it's experiential learning. So they would go to the recycling center. They would go to. They would go bowling. They would go to the park. They would go sailing. Those are my dream days, man. Ecological. I, I, I looked so research. forward to those days. Yeah, but the the cool thing was is like they, you know, this whole program was. Uh, it, it's multifaceted. It gives the kids uh, real world experience. They go swim with manatees. You know, they they get to see their own environment mm. that they maybe they wouldn't see otherwise, and they they live all around it. And Florida's a pretty cool place for a that kind of. Everything. There's so much, yeah, so yeah, nearby, yeah, yeah. so many cool experiences. I I think that translates to, to real life learning and the experiential learning is is fantastic in the in the in the long run. But how does that translate to to state mandated tests? Um, yeah. Know? So that's just kind of one of those things that the charter schools are able to do. Mm. And in in terms of the tests, like when I worked there, we didn't mm. really talk about those tests. Mm. It was just like a week long where like our, our school schedule was like a little bit messed up. Mm. And uh, I was teaching technology. So I was in the computer lab and I would have to proctor those tests for the week. Mm. But we don't, we didn't really talk about those tests. We don't, we don't worry about that because we already knew that the things we were teaching and the curriculum that we had designed as a school was far and beyond okay, okay. what the state was asking. Cool. So we never really had to worry about that. Cool. cool, cool. The uh, so so on average or or typically, I'm just curious who if if you had one of these schools in your area, what would entice someone to go to a public school or that like how how do families make a choice? I, I, if you had one of these, it seems like everybody would want to go there. If or maybe not. I don't know. What would be the benefits of going to the public yeah, so school? Yeah, so the loss of, you know, the the negative side of going to these schools is that they might not have an athletic program. You know, your kid really cares about sports. Well, you might not be able to play okay. sports. Or, and if they do, it might not be a big inter-sports or inter-school uh, league? Or yeah, we're not. Do they compete yeah. with public schools or no? Uh, my, my school didn't have sports at all. We didn't even have a, a physical education program. Our physical wow. education program was that experiential learning. Right. Okay. So that takes place of it. Yeah. Like our school didn't even necessarily have a cafeteria. We had picnic tables outside where the kids ate outside. Mm. You know, it, it was a cool. small building. It was, uh, the original building was like a strip mall. Okay. So when you say two teachers started the school, they literally started the yeah, school. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, how, how do you get the funding to start a school? I was just thinking of a typical school, but Wow. And the things for that, like there, there's, so, there's so much money to be had in terms of free money and grants mm. and that, you know, uh, let's say the state of Florida wants educational innovation. Well, they'll give you 
a quarter million dollars over X amount of years if you just write up a grant. You right. know, mm. if if you, Every, everywhere, everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere. It, it, I, I remember mom and dad telling me, I think I've said on here a few times, like they said, you know, we're in this small town outside of Winnipeg. And they say, hey, there's a there's a, a scholarship or a bursary or whatever for, you know, the Filipino kid. But there isn't any. It's from the Filipino Association of Springfield. There isn't any. Just apply for it and tell them you have a dream to go to Philippines one time and you played hockey with a couple Filipino guys. Is that if they got no one to give it to you, they might give it to you. Mm-hmm. And they, they always told that to my brothers and sisters and I, the Polish society, the Turkish society, they all have money and, and bursaries and, and grants to give. If nobody applies, they just put it back to next year. So right. just put your name in. If they think you're interesting or have a, a, a goal, they might give it to you. And, and, and it happened. Um, but yeah, there's tons and tons of money available. Back to back to the thing uh, you studied uh, or you investigated achievement, recognition, nature of work, responsibility, and growth uh, as the main focus. It seems well, from your school, anyways, that teachers would be super satisfied with um, with their working conditions, and it seems the, uh, autonomy is, a, is one that kept coming up. It seems they're they're pretty free in their in their practice. What what are kind of the the bad or the downsides to to working there? It seems almost, and I, I don't want to equate it to a hog one. That's not that's not it at all. But in terms of autonomy, maybe maybe it's the same. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it really depends on the philosophy of the the people that are leading it. Mm. Um, you know, if you have a school that has, uh, let's say, instead of having one principal, you have two principals, mm. and they even each other out. And they could talk to each other and maybe one person focuses on finance where the other person focuses on curriculum. Mm. Now, if that, you know, if if someone has a strong vision, you know, let's say you own the school. Mm. Well, you get to say kind of what goes to an extent. And if you could find people that are on board with that, then people will be happy. Mm. Right. So if I if if you. For example, in the school that I worked at, something that was really important was interdisciplinary learning. So there was a week in, let's just say, March where we did the astronomy unit. So that means that in technology, in my classroom, we were using Constellation software to study the stars. Mm. In the science room, they were actually studying astronomy. In English, they were reading stories about the space race. Mm. In history, they're actually learning about the space race. And then in their field activity program, they would go out on a Friday night and they would take, you know, huge telescopes and go actually look at the stars. Mm. They'd have like a star night. And, uh, you know, things like that, they're pretty tightly wound. Like we need to do these things in this time frame. Mm. And sometimes those things aren't they don't they don't lend to a lot of autonomy. Mm. Um, And I feel like it's. It's better if everybody has their finger on the pulse mm. instead of everybody being totally autonomous, mm. uh, because you need to be informed. You need to know what's going on. Of course, can't be working. Into- but at the same time, I don't know. I'm a little bit disconnected from home, but still connected. Lots of my friends are teachers. Right. Um, when everybody's there, it seems to move a lot slower, and there's a lot more. I just think of the public school system and how much red tape there is to get things done. Right. Where if it is a good idea and people are on board. Mm. You can make it happen like that, right? Right. There's more stakeholders in a in a a public, absolutely. But I think that's detrimental in a lot of ways. It's it's good in a lot of ways, but it also has a lot of of detrimental parts to it too. Where it just takes so long, and when something doesn't work, 
it takes so long to make the change. Like it's obvious it doesn't work. Let's change it. Mm-hmm. But it just takes so bloody long to change. Um, where I think it'd be great if you had that kind of autonomy to just change directions if something's not working. Right. Well, I guess uh, to to go back to the question, kind of answer it more directly is the the things that don't work more often than not is just kind of personality matching. Mm. You know, it's just uh, knowing when to either fight your battles or not to fight your battles. And, you know, what things can I deal with? And I think everything just kind of works in a balance. You give and you get. And Mm. um, that I think that's what makes people happy is that they they can identify what they can deal with. And, you know, um, then they raise their voice, you know, or they make their voice heard when uh, they can't. And then you come to some, you know, agreed upon mm-hmm. solution. So I can see how these schools would have a huge, how could have a huge upside, but also that, like, I think that spectrum you're talking about, is there people who get into these things for the wrong reasons? I like, if it sounds like anybody can just, you know, get right. the strip mall, secure it and start their own uh, brainwashing academy or, or whatever you wanted. Mm. I mean, is there, yeah, when you say. be holding to the to the tests or to the uh, state tests right but the ones that are on the far end of the spectrum obviously are are missing or lacking right the, and i'm you know. i'm sure there have been cases of you know embezzlement or or whatever and <laughs> but i mean is on the ones on the far end of the spectrum what is the reason why do they why are they failing so bad compared to the one i mean the ones that are successful you can imagine you know how intrinsically motivated the leaders are or whatever right, right, right. they're people 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 they're communicators but what about the other end is that just people who are dreaming too big or thought they could have so much impact and didn't realize that didn't have the the foundation to do it or yeah i don't know maybe and and if you if you don't have like a good relationship with the county in which you're working in maybe maybe they blackball you you know um it you you could be honest but maybe you just you can't break through and yeah. and be a part of the you know, the, the, the big kids club at the table, you know, and help make decisions in your community. Um, but it's still school. Yard yeah. Shady, so there's an aspect of, up, oh eh? yeah, of course. you still have to be connected to the right, yeah. the right channels. It's so funny, man. I always thought adults had everything in place and like, oh, we're, we're mature adults and we handle things like adults. We're all figuring it's it all out. Bullshit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny, dude. Um, you said in your, in your doctorate, you found that, um, it was hard to keep teachers. Yeah. Was that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the most part, I mm. think in, in my literature review, uh, most teachers or most of the ones that leave the profession leave within like the first three to five years. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's a big that it was a big percentage. And Th- this was in the hybrid schools or in general? Uh, I believe it was in general. Because I was going to say, I think that if that's just in the... In oh, I thought the, that was in the charter school. In the charter, I think that's a standard. Like, even in Canada, that's a standard. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Three to five years? Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. Is, do teachers have no moral responsibility to stay in uh, to stay in a school? And just not... Like, it doesn't seem like... Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know their reasons, <laughs> that... for, their reasons for leaving, but I mean, don't, don't you have some responsibility not to... No. Just be like, to oh, your own this, health? Yeah, you do. This school is getting a little tough. I'm going to bounce. Oh, maybe well, I'm looking at it the wrong way. Bounce maybe, and do something else. This, I mean, yeah. mental health is the biggest thing around now. That's if you're not taking care of yourself and you're getting beat down, or, or I don't know what the circumstances are, but could, I was yeah, going to go into to, to teacher's college. And when I look back now and I, I ended up in Africa and this and that, but I think, man, I'm so much 
richer now. And I, my, the, my teacher friends at home are awesome. And lots of them are still there and still doing it. And they love it. But when you said uh, your dissertation was on teacher satisfaction, I kind of chuckled because I think like the, the, that statistic of three to five years would tell us that most people are completely unsatisfied. And on the other end of the spectrum, there are those who absolutely love their job and go above and beyond. But the amount of teachers who are not satisfied is glaringly obvious. And the pandemic has made it even more obvious and brought it to the forefront. I didn't know conditions were that bad in the States for the average teacher and that teachers from uh, this state are going to that state because, you know, they pay more than minimum wage. And right, right, right. I was like, how how can teachers, the people who are educating the future of your country, be paid $15 an hour? Mm-hmm. And so that's why I, I chuckled with teacher satisfaction. I was like, well, that's a great place to do your, your study because there must be a lot of it. Right. Well, the the findings of my dissertation in the end were the, the biggest predictors of um, satisfaction were the ability to do things for other people. So altruism. Mm. It's not about pay. And I think I think most people would hear that and they would be like, well, that makes sense. You know, teachers want they, they do have that moral responsibility. They do want to do things for other people and they enjoy doing things for other people. But um, the, the biggest predictors for dissatisfaction, on the other hand, were management and how schools are run and, you know, how they're either micromanaged or, or how they're told to do their job. And that's every, but isn't that every job you've ever had? Yeah. Like I, like if it's when I worked at Canadian Tire or the fast food place or whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. So that's right. a failure. It's always, and your dad would say, listen, son, it's not going to change. You're always going to not like someone telling you what to do or someone sitting above you. It's always going to be like that. Deal with it. Take it, turn it around, make it a positive, learn from it, whatever. But stop bitching about, it's not going to change your next job or your next job. It's not going to change. So I don't think that's directly or specifically related just to education or teachers right. dissatisfied. I think if you pulled everywhere, it would be the same thing. You know, too too much nagging, too much top-down stuff, too much oversight, too much micromanaging. As millennials, you still fall under that category there, Nate? Me? Yeah. God, I thought I was in the dinosaurs now. I know. <laughs> like you say, like these kids in school who don't know what 9-11 is and these things, like, what do you mean? You're studying artificial intelligence and you're studying this and you guys don't know anything about all these things in history? Like, who's John Duan? Huh? What do you mean? He's dead. They buried him in a sagua box. I told my wife that joke. Didn't like it. No. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> the uh, one one thing you or one of the questions from uh, from the teacher survey was um, you asked about the praise they get for doing their job, right? Right. And a big critique of millennials, I think, is that we want praise. We want to know if you're doing a good job. I don't know if that's something that like um, the forty year olds think. Listen, I I don't want praise. I just want to know that there's appreciation. I tell my kids to say thank you for dinner because I want them to understand they're lucky that they have dinner. And my my second daughter says, Dad, thanks for driving us to hockey. She came up in the middle of practice yesterday and said, Dad, thanks for coaching me at hockey. And I was like, okay, this is getting a little overkill. But (laughs) but she understands that it's it's good to say thank you to people and that you should and you let them know that you appreciate it. I don't know if it's no, that, no. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like knowing that you're that you're doing your job correctly, not not being thankful for something. For example, when I was at Chune, or almost any place I've worked here, no one has ever told me <laughs> anything. Even even Jeff right. Jeff laughs at the at the college where 
He's been there for 12 years. No one's asked him a question. He right. doesn't even have to go to class. He just write a write a write a random number. And, I, and I've a, been um, in the uni system for a while, and I can say the same thing. There is there is no, I mean, other than self reflection, there's not a lot of evaluation. And when you do get evaluated, it's people who have no idea about your course, your classes, your teaching methodology. Nothing. They don't know anything. And I mean, Mark's a good example. Mm. And, you know, guys would give him a pass or a fail grade on his teaching ability, and they've never seen a class. On the other hand, I was asked to turn in a Zoom class of mine from last semester. And the feedback I got, I felt was like, just because you had to give feedback, Um, you know, try not to use Korean. Don't bring your firefly, Tuke. But at the same same time... (laughs) Like I have the a group of the lowest kids in the university who don't really understand English. And outside of that context, if I say, do you really not use Korean when you or they would encourage like, well, if you have to use some Korean because these guys are really low. So I, I felt like the feedback was kind of because they had to, not because it was genuine feedback. They just had to say something. Right. Um, so I, I agree. There is no and the, that relationship and the trust isn't there to get that not the praise, but just to get honest feedback. And if you do get honest feedback and it's bad, you feel like your job's on the line, not like they're encouraging you to get better and to learn from it. Mm. It's like, okay, you did this wrong and you're gone next semester. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. No, shouldn't we be trying to get better all together and you help me, I help you, we help each other? Yeah, and I think I think that's been a, a common thread that I've seen at different international schools. I've only worked at one, but um, is that Everybody, you know, you, you find who you're comfortable with, who who you're happy to be vulnerable in front of. And, you know, you invite people in your classroom or, you know, hey, I'm making this I'm making this form or I'm making this activity. Like, what do you think? So I have one coworker. He, you know, he sends me stuff all the time. I'll read over it or uh, I want to I, I like to give uh, student surveys every quarter. So I like to see how my students are feeling, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, am I doing a good job teaching you? Do you do you trust me as a as a person? Anonymous. Yeah, anonymous. Yeah. And uh, I'll give that you know uh, a look over uh, from you know some of my colleagues just to you know does this look right? Does it look good? Do you think this is a good idea? Um, or if you're you know even if you're having it whatever you know issue that you're having that day that might be work based just you know I think that's a skill in itself. It's just surrounding yourself with people that you're comfortable with and you don't feel judged in front of. I think that's like extra hard in Korea, especially working with Koreans. Oh yeah. yeah. Because one, they're not used to, um, criticism does not go over well here. Nobody can really accept it and it's not constructive. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's always top down. There, there isn't that. I remember when I was in the public school and I was on a consultation board with the board of education and we would go visit different schools and and critique their english classes and i mean giving the same my, advice you got on your zoom class the, he, <laughs> no not at all but the first thing was this was the problem like the, they're manufactured i mean the, the teachers have been practicing these for two weeks and i'm like I, I tell the director at the board of ed i'm like why don't we just go like pop in and surprise them and see what it's really like or watch it on cctv when they don't know we're watching because and not to say oh we caught you I mean to give real feedback, right? Because to go into the but people feel that you know if you catch them off guard like that, they feel like oh they're they're trying to get me. Mm. You have right. to have an understanding that it's not exactly you're not trying to get them, and 
We're not there to point out those things. Hey, I saw you check your phone. Well, you have to foster yeah, that, everybody. That everybody closure, checks right? their phone. But that, that's the hard part. So I say, but you don't bring that up. If you, you don't, to... if you don't bring that up, they go, hey, then they must have saw me on my phone too. I, it's... you don't, you don't have to say it. They know. <laughs> right. Everyone's on their phone. You yeah. don't have to say it. It's got to be formative, but, and that's how it has to be, right? You got to approach it, approach it with a. But to sit in the class is awkward. The kids all know. The kids are they're, they're all twitching to the back like this. It's so uncomfortable. But I remember sitting after in the reflection kind of period and I I would say something to a foreign teacher and the response was like personal attack. Who the hell are you? And I was like, like, these are your bosses and your principal and stuff. The principals and these guys actually have no idea. Like their English level is very minimal. They, they, They can get a feel or whatever. But I mean, I feel like they always feel they're being criticized and attacked, these teachers in these situations. But no, I felt it where... I would try and point out what they did good and try and build it up because, man, once you give one or two constructive criticisms, it's like, well, who is this guy? He's just like me. He's a wake up. Who's he to be telling me what I'm doing? And the, the director was a, a good colleague of mine, and she would say, no, 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 listen, this guy knows what he's – and I'm not saying I, I did or didn't, but I did have a lot of experience. And some of these guys are all like, you know, they graduate from their arts degree, been teaching for two months, and they actually don't have any idea what they're doing. Um, but they sure don't accept the feedback very well. And I think to develop that non-hostile kind of friendly, trustworthy environment is really crucial because... But that's I think that's the difference between a, a real trained teacher and, and someone who's just graduated with an arts degree, right? Where you're, you're, uh, your finger on the pulse, checking how your students are feeling, you're using that feedback to change your... Your your forward approach. You're you're bouncing things off. But come on, your... you've been in the uni. I, I mean, I, yeah, but it's not a real job. It's not a real job. But I mean, I think okay, then uh, a first <laughs> or second reason. a first or second year teacher. Yeah. Oh, they is. feel that. Oh shit! Right. If you if you tell them what they're doing, not wrong, but if you suggest how they can make it better, or whatever. Yeah, but the first are... thing in your first two three years is. Am I doing a good job? You start questioning yourself. It has to be. Yeah, but there's right. a whole faculty that's there to support you in a in a in a standard school, right? When you need, I mean, I mean, they could be. So, sure. so for example, uh, I had uh, a big shock just leaving my school in Florida. That I mm. that was the only school I taught at for seven years, mm. and then I came here. A veteran. Hey, I have seven well, that, years. Here. Well, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, and a rookie I, at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, that's. I mean. It's really common now to hear the word imposter syndrome, but yeah. it had never really felt like imposter syndrome until I stepped in a new classroom teaching slightly a new thing. Mm. But I had, you know, I, I had my methods. I had all these habits. I, I had a, a yeah. certain level of comfort. On my own you knew school, how to do it. And I knew how to do it. And I, I tried to bring that as much as I could. But part of me was just like I was I was so shell-shocked by that and i felt like oh man am i am i doing a good job and i wasn't sure and and sometimes you just have to you know focus on the people that you are teaching or you know and if you're uncomfortable maybe you should say like okay well what can i do to get better um i don't know it's hard right and absolutely you gotta you gotta find the help where you can get it uh at different times so sometimes it's, you know, just, you know, uh, venting to somebody, you know, maybe I come home and I, I complain about, you know, work things or 
uh, I just talk to coworkers like, Hey, I got an issue. Kick the uh, cat. What do I do? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like my, my first year was, you know, coming over here was kind of tough, um, because I thought I had things kind of figured out, but I clearly didn't. And, and that was probably one of the, the biggest moments of, of growth that I've had as an educator. Absolutely. And yeah. if you changed again, if you went to, uh legos or you went to somewhere else next right. you'd probably have that same situation right yeah but you'd be more well prepared for it mentioning that i just my wife's a public school teacher um they change every four years is it four four or five four or five years they change this my understanding is this is from back in the day that relationships equaled corruption they want to keep the relationships short so mm -hmm. there's not as much corruption understandable but i found when i was in public school here i found that there were some pros and cons to these things. But one of them was that you were always on your toes and you couldn't get too comfortable because you were going to be moving. I think the negative parts of it are, are obvious that right. you, you kind of slack or I'm leaving next year. I don't care. There's lots of obvious ones of those. But do you think like, man, the guys that was the principal at my uh, middle school or high school at home, he'd been there for like 25 years. Right. And he was a known person in the community, in the neighborhood. And, um, Everybody knew him, but that doesn't mean he was the best guy. And would it, do you think, as an educator, it would be better to have like a rotating system where I don't, I think, I don't know if five years is not long enough, but maybe eight to 10 years where you can make your impact, you're invested, and you, it's not short enough where you think, oh, I'm getting out in a few years, I'm not going to try so hard. But, and I mean, even maybe in a neighborhood, there's six schools in the neighborhood, you have to rotate every eight president, years around the neighborhood. President gets eight years. Would, what, what, do you yeah, think that would be more beneficial or detrimental? Because in in the systems that I've worked in here, every time I get to know somebody in the office or someone I'm out. working with, mm -hmm. then we finally figured it out. We got a good mojo going and they're gone. And I'm like, and they don't even tell you. You come back next semester and like, who are you? Oh, I'm the new office staff. What? Huh? What do you mean? <laughs> where, where? No one told us this. And then it's again, it's break the ice, get comfortable. Mm -hmm finally get it worked up and, and good and they're gone. Do you think there'd be any benefit to rotating, to changing schools? Would that benefit teachers in any way? I, I've always found that the people who are there longest are usually people who have like earned that time. Um, and I like that. Uh, I, I taught at that one school for seven years and I couldn't go anywhere because it was a small town north of Tampa without seeing a student mm. and they would, you know, I would love seeing them. I'd love embarrassing them in, you know, Walmart or Chipotle or whatever. Jimmy. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? And, uh, so I, I don't know. I think, I think seeing, you know, your everybody out and about and around is like really comforting and, and it, it instills that level of community that, yeah, our school is a community when we're here, but also like we're, we're also, you know, uh, connected outside yeah. you know like we're, I, I we're agree and I think and that and, I think that's awesome and uh so I for the most part I, I really like being you know not not the best of of friends with my coworkers, but I mean obviously in Korea it's different because these are the people you see every day so you probably get closer to them than people you work with back in your home country because you could separate those groups a little bit easier but um in terms of students like I remember being in high school and I skipped chemistry to take physics because I wanted to take Dr. Don's class yeah. because Dr. Don had been there for 25, 30 years. And he was, he was the coolest dude who mm. could teach physics, you know? Yeah. And 
things like that you know it 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 builds like a legacy and like you said there's like a familiarity and uh you you get in a groove with people i think those the perceived benefits are obvious because we we've grown up like that but i mean referring to your biggest moment of growth in the last Mm. whatever years was coming here in a change of scenery yeah in terms of delivering education and and growing as a teacher do you think it would be more beneficial because i think well, you said the, right. after seven years, that was your biggest personal growth, right? That, that's what yeah, I mean. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. but then, yeah, every I agree. Everyone want to stay in the same school in the same neighborhood because right, that's right, your comfort right. zone. It's just like, do you want to move from New York to Louisiana? Well, probably not. <laughs> right. But but you would definitely discover yourself. <laughs> I mean, for us moving to Korea, you learn a lot about yourself in a hurry. Oh yeah. yeah because yeah, you have yeah, to, yeah. and that's probably some of our biggest but personal should, growths. Should that. Maybe the question is, should that be mandated or your personal choice? To, so that's what, that, do you want to be the doctor? Right, doctor? Right, that's right, kind right. of what I mean. Like, yeah, that's why I said, like, not five years, but if you could stay in a in a in Mugadong mm. or in Tewadong, and you're still in the same neighborhood, kind of, but and of course, there's exceptions there, in the yeah. small towns or whatever. But I mean, if that was your biggest moment of growth, I imagine if you moved in two years from now, you'd also have another, you know, right. spike on the on the thing which shows another huge moment of growth different part of your career, different stage in life, and a different setting again. Yeah. I mean, I'll probably say this a number of times still while we're talking is that like just striking that balance is like, yeah, obviously two years is is not enough. And, and professionally speaking on a resume, that probably doesn't look that great. Right. You know, like you're, you're bouncing around, you're jumping around. Mm. And I don't think like mandating something like that would be too great uh, i think it just it takes certain kind of people to be able to see those moments as growth i could easily turn around and say that was the worst moment right. professionally that i've ever had right but now that you know i've been here for four years i could say whew like all right i made it through that one mm-hmm. and that was you know what that was good for me you know some people might not see it that way how uh well, so. <clears throat> how long till the imposter syndrome went away like when I, I mean, I'm still fighting it. When I, some days. When I uh, dude, when I look at real and not real teacher, real and not real classrooms, not the. I, I don't know what's the best term to use, but I think listeners can understand. Um, but in a professional school with that's teaching the AP courses and whatnot, when I think about that, man, it's very like a cloudy or blurry to me. We've been teaching in. Again, not fake classrooms. Like I don't know. It, it's not like a. When real you said set. that, I, w- I was going to say it's sorry. not a real. Well, they're, set they're just classroom. not. It's just not a holistic school, right? Like yeah. it's just yeah. But some of my best teachers weren't teachers. I mean, my dad was one of my best teachers, and my hockey coaches, and of right. course, of course. But I'm I'm speaking to formal um, education. To to formal education, like is it similar? Like I don't know. It's just like a regular high school. Yeah. So I mean, the school I work at now mm. is all the way from pre kindergarten. Mm early childhood all the way up through 12th grade and um in terms of the you know the high school being high school is yeah like uh it feels pretty american like Mm. uh kids care about their grades they're really well motivated i you know i love working with them and um your student population though you say they're pretty motivated and stuff i think a lot of kids at home these days aren't pretty motivated they're motivated by their phones and their games and i see it in my nephews I think a lot of kids aren't so motivated at home these days. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but the students at your school are from pretty well-to-do Absolutely. backgrounds, right? Um, I mean, where education would be kind of pushed on them a little bit. Uh, education would be important. Because they're most of them are Korean, right? Uh, I, yeah, I would say most of them are Korean, yeah. 
So are these? Oh, really? You say it, you say it's pretty American. Are well, these? That, well, they've been abroad and come back. Yeah, I most think that, of them? that's part of the stipulation. You have to live a few years abroad. So they have an an American out, an outlook. Foreign passport. Yeah. They have an American outlook. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just wonder. They're so they've had the chance to live abroad. Their parents do something interesting because they've had that opportunity. Do you think it's different than a typical? I mean. Korean high school? I mean... Yeah, I, I have no experience in typical Korean high schools. All I know about is, you know, uh, the Korean SAT and, and how yeah. intense that is. And, um, I mean, we, we do the... We, we proctor American SATs and stuff like that, but I don't think the intensity on that one moment is is as, you know, prevalent in our school as it is, you know, we, we're doing... I, I would say we're doing hard stuff all the time. We're doing rigorous stuff mm. all the time. I think maybe he's talking more to the the teaching philosophy of the schools where is it like a, an essentialist approach, top down, you're standing at the front of the class or are you kind of a, a, the guide on the side who's uh, who's facilitating learning and, and developing kids to become independent? I would have to guess all those learners. schools are guide on the side, are they not? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I could, I could speak to my own personal practice in that I like, again, I like to keep a balance. Mm -hmm. So there are some times where I have to say, all right, like, like the, the typical, uh, day in my classroom is like, I'll introduce some concepts for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, and then the kids get to do some practice and then we'll kind of close up and reflect on that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I just feel like there's a time and place for everything, right? You can't you can't jump into a project without having that you know that basic information on how to do things, mm. you know, whatever that you know whatever that project calls for. Mm. So um, you know, there's a time and a place, and and I, I always felt that being a teacher is just being some person with a with a toolbox, right? And you just pick out that tool that you need for that moment, and yeah, yeah you just prepare I would, your students. I was thinking more along the lines of. You said it's it has a pretty American feel to it. I was thinking more of at home, I think, you know, we think we can do anything. If I want to be a mechanic, then I go take mechanic courses. If I want to, where in Korea, it seems it's changing and it's changing fast, but academics is very highly pushed mm -hmm. in, in every part of their day oh, yeah, from, yeah. from middle school, where when you say it's a very American feel to it, I would think like, I wonder, like, even though they're coming from kind of affluent backgrounds, are, are they are they pushed heavy academically? Are these kids going to private academies after, or is it really like our style where you said, um, or, or I'm looking at sports and stuff, where you can be the, there for the good sports, or you can be there for the technical courses, or you could be there for the you know the core courses. Right. Because at I, home, I feel we kind of have that choice, right? Like some guys don't exceed in science. That's okay because they're really good in geography. In terms of just kind of focusing on, I guess the the philosophy around the school and the feeling is that, you know, we care about the whole person. So you know, sports are really important. I I coach volleyball. I coach basketball. I coach futsal. And did you say if you're over six four, you got to coach these? Or <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, it's just it's just one of those elements where I like to I like to see the kids outside of the classroom and build and foster those relationships so that. When they come to me, they, you know, they could trust me. They yeah. could learn from someone that they trust. And I like having fun too, you know. So, but, 
anyway, uh, I would say that, you know, some, some of the kids, they probably do go to private academies after, after school and they're studying really hard. And some of our kids are really successful, but of course, obviously that would come at some sort, some sort of cost. And, you know, that would mean, you know, putting in extra time or work wherever. So, um, you know, some of our kids go to top, like, you know, top-notch universities, but that, you know, it doesn't come easy to anybody, Right. you know? No, if you're, if you're in that group, you got to do that. Right. And, and, but in Korea, it's sad to see everybody doing it or pretending to do it, but they don't, they don't get that reward. Right. And you don't necessarily get in and you might do the Sunung two more years and it just seems like never ending. We're here. Like, you know, if you do put in the work and you put it in seriously, you probably get the reward for it. Just, uh, you said growing up, or, or sorry, growing up, you baseball, basketball, whatever sports. Yeah. Then you said the school you worked in for seven years didn't even have sports. Right. Now you're back to a sports kind of connected school. What, like, man, sports was my life. Yeah. I didn't even, I went to school to play sports. Now, well, that's why I the was. The studying a, was like my That's my why side. I was a C student. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's what I said. I think a lot, of, a lot of people are in the same situation. Like we said, a bachelor's degree is just to show that you can mature over those three or four years. I don't know how much you actually apply of what you learned, but you learned how to how to live. You learned maturity. You learned how to manage your time, yeah, how to responsibility, organize. Responsibility, autonomy. You, you learn those things, not, you know, fine, applied finite 101 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but now looking back, I mean, man, I, I couldn't imagine a school without sports, even with the outside ed program or whatever. Right. But I just can't, like, it's such an important part to connect people who aren't, you know, good at we all learn differently we, we all learn differently right, right. so I, th- I thought it was such an essential part of of the learning or the school environment what do you think now going from sports to no sports to back would you do you have a different opinion now of your your yeah. school there or? yeah no i mean not really I, I again i think the the parents that choose to get their kids into that school want a academic focus okay. right and Maybe uh, another good thing about schools like that is that they're smaller and that those kids that are more quiet don't get lost in the weeds. And so you have a you have a better chance to kind of build their confidence and kind of bring them out of their shell because they see the same 22 kids every day. And, you know, their 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 quiet quirks become part of their personality and they they take ownership of those things. And it's a comfortable place to be which maybe they wouldn't get in sports because maybe one, they wouldn't even go out and try out on a sports team where there's 1,200 kids in your high school or middle school or whatever it is, right? Because they're too scared. You know, when you have a pool that big, the kids with talent are going to play, right? And in a school like that, it's like everyone gets this experience. And everyone – and there's an experience for everyone. You know, if if they take a a trip to Tennessee – and, you know, uh, for the weekend, then they're going to go kayak, whitewater rafting or whatever. Everyone gets to do that. Right. And then they, they, then they all get to reflect back on that and be like, oh, remember we, we did that. And, you know, if they stay in the community long enough, you know, you, you see those people again and again. And, right. you know, you share that. And there's no there's nothing stopping them from doing an after school sports program as well. Right. Right. So they could they could do like uh, at, at that school, particularly like you could go to your zoned school. It's mm. called like the one that's in your neighborhood, basically you could go there after school and go take it. But you had to make sure that your grades were up because we had like after school right. office hours, essentially, where like if, if you were failing, like 
we're on top of you. And mm. it's not because, mm. you know, it's not because we're mad at you, but we want you to succeed. Right. So, yeah. But when you're failing, it always feels like they're mad at you. and that's the same with the teacher reflection thing when someone's criticized the first thing is put up your shield and defend it's it's hard to accept what just on a side note as as parents in korea with kids in elementary school i mean for the most part the schools have no sports and i i hate that my daughter cannot do intramurals and stuff like Mm -hmm. even if it's not like you said those are exclusive only for the top guys or whatever but even intramurals like in university right i mean you didn't have to be great. You just wanted to hang out with... Right. You wanted to go play All soccer my buddies play soccer. Football. I'm not yeah. a soccer player, but my buddies play like, come on, just play but, defense. You don't have to move. But okay, right. sure. But it takes it takes form in, in different ways, too. Like in the, in my apartment complex, the kids meet every day after school and there's soccer and baseball and what do you call it, dodgeball and stuff like that. So it just it takes a different form. It's not organized by teachers, but it's still, still a thing. When you go around on weekends, yeah. there's still kids playing and, and doing whatever, but... Well, I mean, your kids are in sports too, no? But yeah, but I mean, we in. played sports all day after school. Right. But that's because mm. we got introduced to them in school. Mm. I mean, the the average kid in Korea plays dodgeball, and that's all. Like, sports here is considered dodgeball, skipping, and taekwondo. Dude, that's such a... like. <laughs> okay, generalization. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that's but, horrible. What do you mean? There's kids playing... There's soccer academies Okay, so, okay, so, yeah, and yeah. so I'll add soccer yeah. to it. Baseball schools. And- yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, but there isn't... There's one baseball school in all of Ulsan. There's one. So compare that to the states where there's a million in each in each district. Yeah, but I mean, I mean you can't you can't have the good parts of every you can't have like this hybrid utopian society where you're you know, Okay, where, but where you, you say we played everything. out we played outside after after school they're playing dodgeball. Okay, yeah. but we did all that too. But I'm just saying that the competition, the teamwork, the the oh, dedication, agree. like I feel that they miss a whole part of that where they're training everybody academically. Yeah. In one way, and they don't all learn like that. And so many kids are missing out and missing the confidence building opportunities that are provided through absolutely through sports. Yeah. And I don't know how many it can take form in some other ways, but I but mean, the, on the, the playground, it's probably you but know the trade off. Trade off will be that your kid plays two instruments. You know, and I do like I do like that. Part. Yeah, yeah. So there's give and take, and they're back to balance, right? Yeah, but when I was yeah. when I mean when I was growing up, I I played I played rec rec baseball. You know, I, I didn't play for the school. And yeah. actually, when I when I got to high school, the you know I was a I was a pretty good catcher, if I do say so myself. But <laughs> the 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 coach's son, what or the the coach was the starting catcher's father. So I wasn't going to get any playing time. Really? So that's why I, I ended up quitting playing baseball. Mm. I quit playing baseball because there was no yeah. no more avenue for me. So I started to play tennis actually yeah. as a joke. But now I love the sport of tennis. <laughs> I was but, like, well, if I don't have anything to do in the spring, I might as well do something right. and I'll go play tennis. But that's what I is frust- I find frustrating here. That's why the blanket. Yes, it is a terrible statement. But but there's some truth to it. And here they don't have the rec sports. Mm. Everything costs. I'm coaching the hockey right. kids hockey team. It's volunteer. Like the coaches are volunteer. Nobody played like every hockey team in Korea has guys who played college or pro hockey. Every kids team. That's it. That's the only way you can coach. We're the only team that exists like this where our two guys are a Hyundai car factory worker and a graphic designer. Never didn't even start playing hockey until they're like 40. And these are the coaches with me. But the hockey, and ours, hockey's well, a different sport though. No? Ours ours is 120 bucks for kids. Mm. And that pays for the ice time and maybe some some like picnics or something if it's not corona time but these other ones are 350 bucks now 
how many like it's just like elite sports at home you can't afford to put your kid they, you right, can't yeah, get those experiences pay to play, yeah. so there is no rec outlets there is no intramural sports there is no just for fun you know to build that camaraderie and stuff so listen I, I love sports and i hate seeing no sports in the school systems <laughs> well i mean coaching now uh i mean let's let's just say we have 100 kids in the high school there's not a lot, you know, and you take a fraction of that and, and those people want to play a sport. So, you know, let's say I'm coaching uh, boys volleyball, for example. I'm going to get maybe 20, 20 guys playing volleyball and, you know, half of them will, will go, you know, we call it quote unquote varsity, junior varsity. But it's like, you know, maybe A level, B level stuff. And, uh, you know, uh that gives we're able to give a chance to anybody who wants to play. Right. So I think in that regard, where where I'm at now, we provide a really nice opportunity for people who might not be able to get that experience that you're talking about. Mm. We're 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 really providing that. I think. Mm. Right. And that's what is what is missing. And I when you I've heard you give the speech a couple of times about you know why why it's good to 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 put kids in hockey and in sports like that, and that is. The organization and, like you said, building their confidence and it builds yeah. them up, man. Yeah. That is, uh, that is, and again, it's it's that community stuff. Like here, it's every coach is a businessman. Like that's the guy's salary. So if he doesn't, if the kids don't perform, whether it's soccer or baseball or whatever, if the kids don't perform, the parents pull them out. So the coaches are extra, like, and the physical abuse and stuff here is well documented from the Olympic team all the way down in America as well. But that's a a different kind of hear it like I see coaches smashing kids on the head in between periods mm. and I'm like but that's that guy's life like if he loses these kids he doesn't have a job he doesn't have a salary if he loses five kids next month he doesn't have a salary um, so I just it it the way we have it at home I think there's a lot of it builds community and the community rallies kind of around that you know little league soccer tiny tykes soccer and, and those things oh, they, I mean, they I'll, bring I'll, all the community yeah. out like mm. it doesn't matter if you're good or bad everybody because you learn how to fall down and get up. You right. learn how to listen to the coach. You learn how to get up early and go to practice. But here, it, it might stem from their their praise of teachers, no? Like they think if you're not, or I mean, if you are the soccer coach, then we should listen to you or, or that you need a coach to, to do all of these things, right? Don't you think a lot of people could learn English by themselves? 100%. Just, just sitting at home, but <laughs> they, they feel the need that they got to they gotta pay the teacher. And I think that, that translates into sports too, yeah? Just having jobs. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Um, anyways, let's get into some... Uh, oh, so I got one more, sorry. About... Uh, I read your very touching uh, dedication for your um, for your dissertation there. It was nice, but how do you stay motivated? I mean, dude, going... To, like, my master's is one class every eight weeks for two and a half years, man. And it's just like... It's it's dragging now, and I'm gonna do try and do two next semester, and just like I got to get this over with and start something new. But how do you stare down the barrel for three years, and in in those deepest darkest moments, what's the uh, how do you overcome that uh, deepest darkest? Yes. What well, yeah. thing gets there, man? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, he's yeah, 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 you're right. I mean, there there are days, you know, in the doldrums, yeah. uh, so to speak, and. Uh, during my master's program, the, the reason why I took the master's program I did is because I thought it was going to be in person. And it turns out that <laughs> there wasn't enough 
students yeah. to rent a room at the local uh, community college for the bigger university that I was taking this program mm. at. So at the last second, they said, ah, just kidding. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be online. And I was, I really didn't like that at first. <laughs> I ended up liking it. But, <laughs> but what we did was, is, you know, uh, it was uh, in our, in our cohort, there was about, I think, five, four or five teachers besides me. And we would meet once a week to do assignments and stuff. So anytime there was a group project, we would just team up and get together. So, you know, having like accountability partners was super helpful. Mm. And I used to, uh, for the doctorate specifically, I used to just take uh, Saturdays and Sundays and I would literally just sit in a Starbucks from like nine to five. How many wow. packs of nicotine gum did you go through? <laughs> I mean, I, I would I would leave for lunch. I'd break for lunch and I'd come back and then I'd be there, you know, up until dinner time. Mm. And I would just, uh, but that's that's what works well for me. It's mm. like I need to sit down, I need to be in the mode, and I need to like I need to just crank it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. So uh, that's kind of what worked for me. But yeah, when you when you start the program, it's it's so. Daunting. Like it's so daunting. Yeah. Like the the shadow of the mountain is over you, right? Yeah, yeah. And the sun's behind it, and you're in you're in the dark valley of the mountain, and mm. you got to climb it. But I was, uh, I think I wrote this in my acknowledgments, but uh, I had a a professor in my first class, Doctor Roth, Doctor Roth, yeah, mm. and he was, uh, he just he just he told us about his story mm. through his dissertation. He had, you know, his wife had, I think, two miscarriages. And, you know, all this other family stuff. And it was it was brutal to Jesus. listen to. And he just he said, listen, like if I could do it, I know you could do it. Mm. But like you're all in this room to finish it. Yeah. And I was like and and I think right after that, he said something like like uh, what was it like? He's like a good dissertation is not one that takes forever or whatever. Mm. You know, you get every detail perfect. A good dissertation is a finished dissertation. Mm like do it get it done you know do it right obviously there there's plenty of safeguards along the line to make sure that everything is good to go mm. uh but make sure you you know you follow the rules and you get out in and out as efficiently as possible yeah. and i i really took that to heart and that that was like a great motivating speech and mm. um and, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm chuckling because I missed I missed my motivational speech because I signed up for my master's and it was going to be online. And he might remember, but I signed up for the first course and then delayed. And, no, no, no. Oh, yeah. I, I signed up for the first course and it was like uh, because I was late getting everything sorted out, mm. uh, it was starting like tomorrow. And it said, you know. On Wednesday, you have to have this video is due, and on Friday, this is due. And I was like, holy shit, man. Like, I didn't know what I thought it was going to be like, but I hadn't been in school for a while. And I right. just hit the panic mode, and I was like, drop the course, drop the course, drop the course. <laughs> and I was like, I don't I don't have a, a Google, a, what? Gmail. A Gmail. I don't have a YouTube account. Right. I don't know what the right, heck right, right, she's right. talking about. I got to do like 10 years of tech in like two days. I'm going to die. Well, that that's a... That's a a, a very big problem APA. for people who leave and, and come back. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I was in, especially in the doctorate program, I was like people's tech guy mm. by nature of just being the younger one yeah. in the room. And people yeah. would be like, something's wrong. Or like, can you add this like Google Chrome <laughs> extension called Zotero, which automatically formats your sources and your, your Word documents from the web and, and this, that, and the other thing. But that, 
we talked about like the the limit in experiences from going you know i went bachelor's master's doctorate yeah. like all straight away but the best thing was never getting out of that groove of learning yeah you know like in a structured environment right. like, and it, you know how many people just sit on youtube and they you know they they learn korean or they learn a new craft or they learn how to make espresso at home or whatever it is yeah you could do that but but Puck, structured learning, days. yeah, <laughs> structured learning is is hard. Yeah. And when you're out of it, and especially when you're a teacher, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, we're all lifelong learners, but, um, you know, teachers kind of, uh, at least back in America in the public schools, people like kind of scoff at like professional development. Like, oh, I can't believe we have to be here all day. I would say oh, that, you I know, value that so much yeah. now. <laughs> so much. But. Like I used to think those PD days and stuff were just a day off and whatever. But now I think, wow. You could do so much if you had 10 PD days a year. Yeah. Right. Where, I mean, if you had a good workshop, like some of the, man, you could do so much. So I hit that eject button and kept me out of the class right away. And she's like, oh, no, you shouldn't have done that. Listen, everybody here is working. Life happens. Mm. The deadlines aren't fixed. Just get it in in the next two or three weeks. No problem. And I was like, oh, you should have had this in like the course introduction. <laughs> like I was like, oh. Holy shit, this is way I just absolutely panicked and I delayed like whatever the six weeks or eight weeks to start again. And I was like, okay, start learning shit now because yeah. this isn't gonna be and I was like, I think I delayed that classroom because I think it was called tech in the classroom or something. I was like, I know tech, like this, I know what I'm doing. I'm on Facebook, I know what's going on. <laughs> well, it was Dropbox and whatever. I was like, You guys don't use Dropbox? You guys don't use this? What the heck? Oh man. Anyways, by the time I finished, I was gonna say for your situation, you just gotta do the Red Bull power through, man, as short as you can. And but here, high stress, get it done quick. Here's the, for like I, I remember almost nothing of my undergrad, but one thing that kind of sticks in my head was the the teacher said, that, you know, successful people are able to delay gratification for for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of VPNs, now, the, um, but uh, you know, the ability to to know that your goals in the future and to be able to endure that you know, that long struggle or that long journey climbing the mountain or whatever. I think that's something that we should be teaching in, in schools and, you know, teaching maybe grit is the, is the right word. You mentioned your, your dad, you know, being able to endure the, endure the hard, uh, grind, the, the hard grind without ever, out ever complaining. Maybe that's something that we should be teaching in schools. And it seems like you've, you have that grit or that, that endurance to keep going and, and see it through to the end, you know? You're you're in tech. I mean, for me, by the end of my master's, that tech in the classroom class was the best. And I still use lots of what I learned in that class. Like one of the assignments was recommend five apps for the classroom. Right. And everybody's were from all over, like all different parts of the world. And everybody was recommending their apps. And I was like, holy shit, this is like the top 20 ever, man, of all the, the hundred that we got or whatever. I was like, this is awesome. And I still use lots of them now. And I now I, I have a, a network where I put out, hey, what are your best apps? What are your best apps for yeah. this year? What's new? What's working in the classroom? And it's really encouraged me to keep up with what are current and, and whatever, you know, text for the classroom. Do you find now with the students, like I think it's funny when my mother-in-law says to like the eight-year-old grandchild, how do I do this yeah, on my yeah, smartphone? Yeah, yeah. And where this old lady full of wisdom and, and knowledge is asking the eight-year-old to teach them how to use this device that they can use in their sleep. Right, right, um, right, right. Do you ever have anything like that in the class where the kids 
you go, holy shit, man. I think so many kids might know more than me. I mean, you're... Oh, yeah. I mean, that that's going to happen anywhere you go, right? And it, it all depends on what they're exposed to and how they're exposed to it and what their, you know, their comfortability is and, and their interests are, right? So if some kid really likes, you know, computer games to the point where he wants to create one, well, he's going to he's gonna sure. go do that. Mm. And, uh, yeah, and I mean... That's just being a teacher. I think it's a it's it can be a really powerful moment to just say I don't know everything, and I teach computer science. It took me it took you me don't? years to get there. Yeah. Well, I the thing is, is I teach computer science, and a lot of people have the misconception that my doctor is in computer science. My undergrad was in social studies. Right. I I just happened to drop my resume off at that charter school that <laughs> I thought had a social studies position open. They called me back and said, how much do you know about computers? And like you in the, in that university class, I was like, I know a bit. Like, <laughs> I know Photoshop. I could work some things. And, you know, they had me teach a sample lesson or whatever one day. And, and I got the job. And it's... Then you, you taught know, yourself. And here I am. Yeah. yeah so yeah. You, you teach yourself. So um, anyway... Uh, point of the question was, the, I mean, I can imagine yeah. for a fifty-year-old geography oh, oh, yeah, geography okay. teacher, right now, yeah. the kids are the kids are you yeah. know bringing up these things. But teacher, but teacher, right. oh God, I don't know any of this. Mm-hmm. But for you as a as a computer teacher, yeah. I mean, I imagine it probably happens less, but you must still maybe once in a while get that feeling or. Uh, I I I really fight. The, the feeling of feeling like I need to know everything because one, I, I already know that I don't and there's no sense of <laughs> lying to 20 people in the room that I do. And and the thing is, is the, the best part about learning is letting people ask questions. I'm like, like you said, like, is your classroom a sage on a stage or are you the guide on the side or, That's or what it whatever? Was. Yeah. Sage on the stage. I missed that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and, and it's like, I'll be teaching some concrete concepts and some student will say, well, what if I did this? And I said, well, why don't you give me five minutes and we'll pull up some code and we'll try it hmm. and let them, let them explore that instead of making them think that I do know everything and yeah. saying, oh, well, I don't know. Or why don't you, why don't you try that on your own time? It's like, no, why don't we, you know, why don't we open that up? And let's explore together. And then, you know, then because that question and pulling up that code on the board might, you know, target uh, something that someone else is thinking about. And they can, and I could say, hey, anything else? And they say, oh, actually, you know, what happens if you plug a negative number into this function or, or whatever, mm. you know? And then that experience, it's only going to help them. Mm. And and it makes the, the classroom a more comfortable place to be because I can admit that I'm wrong. And so the, t- the students say, Oh, you know what? I came into this class thinking I'm not a computer person. I can't program. I can't do this, and it's like it's okay that I can't. Because this guy doesn't Neither know what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I have no idea what I'm talking about. No, but <laughs> right. But do you think it's the same for? I mean, I think I'd be more receptive to that because I think, wow, computers are big and crazy and hard and difficult. Right. But if you're the geography teacher, would students expect them to know a little more or? Like, you could have checked that on Google before class. I, I mean, obviously not yeah, everything, but I'm just saying, you know, if you're a tech something, it's a lot more complex. And students, I think, right. feel well, like we're well, part of the team building something. But Yeah, exactly. In, and, in something more factual or something maybe like history or whatever, maybe not so. Yeah, there, there's, not, there's not so many open possibilities in something that has already happened, right? So in, in the case of something like social studies, like things are very concrete and things have already played out the way they have. So mm. we just kind of analyze it through the rear view mirror. Mm. But 
computer science is more of a forward thinking thing of thinking like what is possible, right. you know? So you could, in, in social studies, it's probably more a little bit of looking back and applying patterns and seeing how they might play out to commonalities that we see today or, you know, in the unprecedented times that we're living in, what what do we know right. anymore, you yeah. know? Yeah. But in computer science, I, I find that, that, that some of my students, they just... Being able to use a device doesn't necessarily mean knowing how it works. Sure. Right? So That's things that are... all of us, isn't it? Right. I mean, we well, all know yeah, how to use it. it but... It's everybody. Everybody yeah. knows how to use it. But do you know what a... Do people even know what a file structure looks like anymore? Maybe not because they use their phone all the time or right. because they use a tablet. They, you know, you don't see certain things that maybe I would have seen when I was growing up with the the boom of the internet and, and technology and encoding my myspace page in html and css yeah. and and from my wife being a teacher and her friends and sometimes i get questions from them or from her and i say no that's it's actually this and they go oh i taught him the wrong thing and i'm like you should ask that question before you teach it not <laughs> after you teach it right and and i think that's a good thing for them and it happens lots now in public school because so many kids have lived abroad for a few years and they're better than their teachers at english and I, it, it's a very interesting dynamic where you have two kids that probably know more than you do or, or more just natural English ability. And, you know, it's a it's a challenge for them. Should I correct the teacher? Like the natural thing is, teacher, that's wrong. But in Korea, you're not supposed to do that. And I think it makes some really interesting situations now. And I'm glad that the English teacher has taken a, a different kind of level of respect as opposed to before it was just the youngest, newest teacher. Now, a lot of them have traveled abroad and they have some cultural reference at least. And uh, it makes them a lot better in the classroom. <clears throat> Do you worry about the, the amount of screen time or whatever that students are using? Does that, uh, as a, I mean, in uh, a way, as the techie, what do you, uh, what's your take on that? <laughs> yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a child psychologist on technology, but, uh, I mean, just, you know, in my practice yeah. in teaching, like, uh, when, when we got to learn some stuff, like there, there are times where we don't need the computers, you mm. know, and it's just time to listen and learn and conceptualize some mm. things that, that are being brought into the room mm. and let's, let's play with these things off the computer for a second to make sure that we kind of have some sort of uh, conceptual understanding, mm. you know, mentally, yeah, yeah. What, what does that look like in your mind? Yeah, you know, yeah. instead of literally looking at it on the screen, yeah. it, you know, it's helpful to either like draw things out or uh, that's another thing I do. For example, like in, in programs, you deal with a lot of moving variables mm. and variables that change a lot and they're stored inside of things. So for example, I could have a variable named X and I draw a box and I'm like, this is the the box with the X on it, but what's inside of X? It's the mm. number five. Mm. So I, I like teaching visual ways of learning yeah. that not, you know, aren't necessarily right on the screen. So mm. um, I find that it's helpful because that helps reach the people who learn differently. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I would love to teach in in like an AP school or an IB school in the future, but it, it seems very like a very scary place coming from a, a very informal years or over a decade of informal uh, informal classrooms. But what do you um, think, uh, students or budding students or, or tech students or computer students? What are some things that they could do on their own? Like I mean, if they're intrinsically motivated and, and they like computers and tech, which I think a lot of kids do these days, a lot more than before. Right. Um, what are some things they could do on their own to beef up their own kind of knowledge or some fun learning or discovery activities or ways that 
Oh, I mean, there there are plenty of apps and stuff where it's like it's just gamified programming. And, right, but and, any recommendations? Oh, uh, yeah, like freecodecamp.com is our .org yeah, or okay. whatever it is. But yeah, like you could do like a three hundred hour course for free. Like you can't right. you can't beat this stuff. Right. You know, it's it's all about just finding the resources. And for one of my uh, classes, I like for an end of year project, I kind of give them like a self study period for three to four weeks. And I give them a list of like those resources and I just say, pick one and I'm going to check in with you every so often. And then at the end of this, you're going to do like a presentation on what you've learned. Did I read about that on your, on your page or school page? You may have. Uh, On your Facebook maybe. And the students, like they were making uh, websites and automatic email response things. Yeah, exactly. All kinds of different. Wow. Like I would have loved learning in that kind of environment um, where there's just kind of the freedom to. You know, if you want to do it, go ahead and do it and not so structured. I, I would have just thrived in something like that where you could pursue as much as you wanted to. The uh, Yeah, I think that's awesome. Because I read some of those things and phew, the kids were, wow, fantastic. Yeah. Very, very well done. But that's, I mean, that's where education is going, right? With uh, <clears throat> all technology and whatever available, it's going to be... You want kids to be able to you, – you give them the tools, they can go home and apply it. And but it's hard to believe that necessarily... living in this situation here and what the education's like here. That being said, it can change on a dime and be you – know. What if a kid – I mean, I, I met a new student yesterday who who's in – he's in a group of, of four kids and three of them are – we play video games all day. And, and he's like, oh, and he's the he's the programmer. And he said he's he's learning code and he's doing this and that. So that's, uh, that's cool, man. There is – but I think I think in the school system like that, there. to have that kind of a little more freedom or, or leeway in the in the actual school system where you can explore and discover more on your own. So free code camp, anything else? Uh I think there's something called JetBrains, which is a paid service, but you could you know, you could go nuts on Python or Java, JavaScript and uh that that's a, a really nice resource. There's plenty of free books out there and when when or where do you think that where will the computer science or, or the tech classes go moving forward? I remember my computer science in high school and we were programming and I had what well, that was one of our probably mine was a basketball guy, like the stick, the stick man. And he would shoot a three pointer and you had to draw the court and stuff. And, and I think, man, but nobody liked it. And that way, I mean, not nobody liked it. It wasn't uh, encouraged to pursue that. It wasn't a, those were Commodore 64s or something. There right, wasn't right, anything right, right. going on. And it took a lot, a lot of work to make your th- action figure do one thing. Yeah. Um, so tech classes now and computer classes now are, wow, they're like space age compared to what I was doing as general knowledge for these kids now to take in these courses. Right. Where do you see it five, 10 years later? I mean, for right now, the all the things that I've done up until this point have probably... Uh, I think in the back of my mind, I have done with a focus of just getting people exposed to certain things that maybe they haven't before. So basic literacy. Yeah. Ba- not, not even just basic literacy, but having a, like a foundational knowledge mm-hmm. to move forward with. And I used to teach uh, like the Adobe suite and like Photoshop and Illustrator and stuff. And I've had students that are now, you know, graphic designers and, I, I, what I really think education should just do is just kind of focus on there's there's endless possibilities, but how can we, you know, uh, categorize these possibilities in some way 
that will give everybody some sort of exposure to everything so they can find the thing they like if they mm-hmm. want to pursue that later. One big thing is just uh, one thing I really like is physical computing. So getting a little, you know, breadboard or microchip or something with LED lights on it with a speaker and a microphone and, and some sensors and you could make the thing on the table do something. You know, that nothing's better than than bringing what you did on the computer virtually into the real world. Mm. Do you and do that in your classes? I do. That's yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's really powerful, especially for middle school students. Mm. You know, I couldn't imagine being a middle schooler and just coding text all day. So right. one of the one of the big things that I've been using and I've carried this from my old school into this school is this thing called Arduino kit, which is basically like this breadboard and you follow the instructions, you wire it up, you, you got a little LCD screen and you wire the LCD screen up to a humidifier. And then you you just copy and paste some code in into the, you know, the the IDE and you transfer it to the microchip and it tells you the temperature and the humidity of the room. So then there's, you know, three optional extensions, you know, you didn't have to code that. But now, even if you don't have an understanding of how that code was written from the ground up, it'll say like, um, instead of displaying the temperature in Celsius, display it in Fahrenheit. So you just find where, you know, the Celsius calculations happening mm. and you just, you, you do the mathematical equation. Mm. So it's, it's, it's interdisciplinary and it just, it gets that, it, it, it gets you going, you yeah. know? Yeah, absolutely. I, do, got, I got so many questions. Do you have uh, <laughs> Do you have any projects outside the classroom that uh, that any personal uh, pursuits in in terms of coding or? Uh, yeah, I, I'm always like in the summertime. I'm always practicing my own skills. Mm. Um, I I'm typically just kind of doing challenges and stuff. I like puzzles and stuff. I'm not so good with open ended projects, open ended creative projects. I'm the kind of person that gets stumped like where do i start or what do i want to make and i like things kind of to a point telling me what to do Mm. so i'll I'll grab i'll grab a textbook or something and it'll say uh like you said like this is how you automate email systems i'll be like that i want to learn you know so follow the steps exactly just follow the steps and then you know you could apply that to other things is is there a a huge spectrum of you said having a good foundation like i think man some guys are they know tons of stuff because they do it on their own and they're taking apart their computers, fixing their stuff, whatever. Do you find like when they come to you in middle school or high school that there's a huge spectrum of found like where they're at? Oh, absolutely. And how do you how do you deal with that? Because that's like Well, you give them a diagnostic assessment, no, and see where they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. you could do that. That's the formal way of doing it, but informally, like I mean, do you have to start at the beginning because but two thirds of the kids already know all this stuff and it's review or Right. Well I think I think there again, there comes a balance, but also you have to set some hard lines that, you know, let's let's just say like I take a introduction to Python class that I teach. Um, this is an introductory class. And if the kids in that class have taken, like, let's say my middle school computer science class already have some sort of understanding, or maybe the teacher before me that was at this school taught Python in the middle school, I have no control over mm. that. But what I do have control over is making sure that the students who have no knowledge whatsoever are comfortable enough to learn and comfortable enough to ask questions that they're not, you know, if you know way more than me and I'm teaching basic, basic things, but you take it three steps further saying, yeah, but is, after this, aren't we, <laughs> aren't we learning this? Or aren't you supposed to do this? But can't you do this? And tone her not, down, Johnny. <laughs> yeah. Not, not, not to, and not to shut people down or, or shut down those questions. But sometimes you do, I think in the moment have to say like, we're not learning that yet. We will get there. 
and I hear you. Like I recognize, you know, that, right. that, you know, stuff and you're proud of that. But at the same time, you also have to be sensitive to people that might not know hmm. and you want to build them up. It's like right now, right now might not be about those students that know so much because we have to, we have to move along through this year long journey in this class together. So let's get the people who don't know as much up to speed hmm. so that we can move through it together. Is that you is that one of the biggest challenges? Too. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it is challenging, but at, at the same time, I, 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 I like it because then it, it's not just me talking all the time too, right. or it, it creates some sort of tangent that maybe the kids think they're getting over me. But mm -hmm. like, I take advantage of those moments because to them, it feels like we're, we're breaking from the formula, you know, and, oh, this is, this is authentic and, and this is more fun and, and we're conversing. And another example is just, uh, if, if some kid raises his hand and he he has he he has to get it out and he, he just he's got to let me know or he's got to ask this question. I think that was me. <laughs> you know, it, I, I want sometimes I want to answer that, but it, again, it's just it, it's timing. It's 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 knowing your audience. You it's know how to manage things. the classroom. Yeah, um, yeah. You said English, but I think uh, yeah, of course we see it all the time. But I think in the private part of English, you think. But you have a choice. And and although they say beginner, intermediate, advanced, I'm like, Mom, in each one of these, there's only 10 kids. Two of them are much higher than everybody. Two of them are usually at the bottom. And the, you have to kind of teach to the middle. But I think in like it's such a weird dynamic here because the kids are learning ahead. Like public school is a review for lots of them. Right. They're learning math in right. academies that is a semester or two ahead of what they're learning in school. So the teacher must feel insufficient or like you have to teach to where they're kind of supposed to be at, I guess, right. for that level. But the kids already learned this eight months ago in the private academies. But these six kids didn't get to go to the academy and you have to teach them. And it, so are these guys missing? It's such a weird dynamic here with that. And mm. I agree you have it in English, but I feel like it's you have an option and there's a million private schools. You can pick which one fits your kid. But unfortunately, they don't know how to choose I mean, they don't know. Do you think that's like out of convenience or they distance? Don't, or? They don't ask enough questions and stuff. No, no, they just listen to the directors or businessmen, right? I mean, the directors, they're running a business. Their job is to sell you. They don't want to let you go to the other school. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you whatever you have to hear to get. Yeah. Mom, your kid lived in America three years? Elite. Super elite. But what about the other five kids? Uh, America, six months. Uh, Singapore, two months. Uh, Philippines, six months. Well, then my kid's like super, super, super elite. But No, they all lived abroad, so they're all elite. But I don't think it's a good environment for that kid. It's not. It's not challenging enough. So, yeah, I, I. It must be really frustrating in the public school system here to be fighting the private system all the time that are teaching ahead of what you're doing, right. and that they have to teach like to manage that gap every every time in the classroom. The last one on this one. Do you think there's a point in these young people where you kind of have to catch them? You know, to where they're like. I feel like ah, Benny did it. I know we can do it. I know you can teach me or I can take code camp online. But is there a point where it's like the ideal time to, to catch them and inject them with this technology stuff to intrigue them to to make that creative or the the intrigue for them? I I think like age wise. The curiosity. Yeah, the curiosity. I mean, you could do it as, as early as you want. Uh, I, I, STEM is science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and that's been really popular probably for at least the last 10 years. So, I mean, kids' toys even are 
messing with this idea of like logic and logical thinking and critical problem solving. So, but I really like, and this is just based on my personal experiences is that I really like engaging those kids in middle school because it's like herding cats. But the moment you put the cat food down, that's the physical computing pieces. They're, they're all in, Mm, you know, at my old school, we used to teach uh, just small electronics, like just teaching them how to how to solder so that they can get an LED badge to light up and put on their shirt. Like there was no better feeling for those yeah. kids than to be able to like learn a skill and and see it. And I think that that physical reward and the visual reward and seeing the the goal being complete is like really powerful for middle school. On the other side of uh, computer science is that there's not a there's not enough engagement uh, for girls is that they're they're turned off uh, to computer science because it's a male dominated industry. So I focus a lot of my you know my informal recruitment of my classes to to the girls because I'm my my best students have been girls and and they kill it every single time. And it's just really empowering for them. And, and that, that comes along with, you know, just making my classroom, you know, visually more appealing to, to people who come from different backgrounds and making sure that people feel representative, sure. represented and comfortable in the room. So is, yeah. is there a thing called cherry pie? Uh, raspberry, raspberry pie. Raspberry pie. Is that a computer set or something where you have to? Yeah, uh, it's like a programmable uh, computer. Like make your own computer? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. You can I do think, a lot with it. That's your idea, I think, no? What's the? That was a humidifier temperature. So yeah, so you can but, do like certain things with depending on what. So I want to build. Ready? I want to build. <laughs> I I've three D. I've three D printed a mini uh, Nintendo sixty four, and I don't know if I need an Adreno or a Raspberry Pi. I don't even know if that's. I think the same yeah. Thing. I think you want a Raspberry Pi. Okay. So I got I got that for <laughs> you know I was tired of giving the same. I've seen emulators on Raspberry Pis. The yeah, same okay. silly Christmas gifts, whatever. I got the three nephews there in Southern Ontario, and this was probably when they were like 13, 15, 17. And I thought, I'm not getting them more hockey sticks. or the... Right. I, I saw this thing kept popping up, and I was like, I started looking at it, and I was like, this is pretty cool. You build your own computer, and some of the expat dads guys had it on. Mm. You build your own computer, basically, and then, like you say, there's all these different attachments and stuff. You make your computer do this. Then you can program a game. Then you can program a, a challenge or a, a tournament with other guys. And I thought, man... That would be pretty interesting. Yeah. And I thought three boys, they can do it together. They can, you know, share bouncy ideas, challenge each other, whatever. And I don't, I don't even know if I got a thank you for it. <laughs> and I was like, I think it was like 200, 300 bucks. Yeah. Right. And I thought, man, this, this is learning. This is cool. Right. And it would have so many applications to their future. Right. But I didn't. <laughs> And I'm like, I don't know what happened. I was like, hey, can you send that back? Because I'm going to disassemble it and give it to my girls. Like, I think they would really like it. Do you know that, what that is and how it works? And what do you think about something like that? Uh, I, I feel like all those things that are really well marketed are just well marketed. Uh, you really have to kind of test and try a bunch of little things and see what you like. Like from my perspective, uh, I think the like the individual market like for you buying something for the kids or something is like way easier than me buying something for the classroom because i need structured lessons i need right. you know i need to accommodate for you know 16 to 22 kids but uh the the individual uh packages are 
usually pretty good and and they're always they're always really great but as far as like a classroom environment right. like i need to buy i i need to make sure that i have at least one device per every two kids yeah otherwise if you have a group of 3 that you know the the third kids you know staring off into space or right. or watching so the birds go by be connected, yeah. so you got to make sure that you're either one to one or two to one but the individual stuff is awesome because it, you know, less, like you said, less than a hundred bucks. I think you could buy something really engaging and worthwhile. So they just, yeah, I think I missed that. I thought that was it. Like the middle school age, you know, but I think they're two into their pads and stuff. Or I think they were already past. I don't know how to catch them at that point. I think they were already long gone. Let's go into, uh, let's drop the education stuff here. What's drawn you to photography? What does it do for you? Is it, you know, is it, um, a solo pursuit is it is it part of joining a community here where did it start give us some background on your experience yeah so uh my photography stuff started when i was a i think a senior in high school and i was friends with a kid that was a couple years younger than me and we just wanted to take some pictures so we took whatever digital camera we had in the house and we went to the local park or baseball field and just started taking pictures of flowers or whatever Mm. and what that kind of eventually grew into is like uh, local bands and music photography for me. Oh, nice. And for someone who I didn't really have like a core friend group in high school, I found my friends in like the hardcore scene mm-hmm. and like the punk scene. And that that gave me like a real sense of like identity, like leaving high school mm-hmm. where I felt like I never really kind of fit in mm-hmm. to one group. So um it was it, that was really helpful. So I got to you know take pictures of like some bigger bands, and uh, eventually I started doing like bigger concerts and stuff like that. The Warped cool. Tour and uh, no a couple Whoa. of yeah, yeah, yeah a couple cool. years, and then I did like uh, a Drake concert at USF and uh, Taylor Swift concert in Tampa and just Holy a few shit. other things. That's yeah. unreal. I, I love I love hearing the stories where it starts off as something just yeah we start taking pictures here as yeah. you know and, and it's blossomed into uh, a genuine you know pursuit that's awesome okay hold on you you say it's you're just in your profile or whatever that says you're just a hobby photographer but is that outdated or is this a case of when you really enjoy what you're doing it's not work so it is still your hobby because it's what you do in your free time or what you pursue because you have you have some unique talents you've done some some shows and some galleries and stuff it to me it seems much more than a hobby but is it that you know you enjoy it that much it doesn't seem like work that's your kind of your own time um, and in that way, it is a hobby. Yeah, uh, probably the the latter part is uh, I really do enjoy it. And um, it, it's so easy to just kind of keep a camera with me and, and, and keep it personal and just take shots every day. Or, But if I want to turn it into a project, I could turn it into a project. If I want to uh, go take pictures of uh, concerts or whatever, I could, you know, throw my name out there and hopefully get a press pass or something like that. But uh, yeah. For a while, I thought maybe I could do photography professionally. And I think around the second, third year of university was where I really kind of clicked with the education thing because I was a summer camp counselor previously. So that's why I I, be, I decided to become a teacher and get involved in education. But at that same time, that's when I was really taking a lot of pictures for bands and stuff. But I found that professionally speaking, I like a nine to five. I like structure. I don't want to have to worry about booking my next gig to make sure that I could afford whatever. Mm. So, um, so the photography stays a hobby, so to speak. Mm. Um, and 
for things like galleries and stuff like that, that's, yeah, that's just kind of like, uh, I hate the word, but passion project. Had that written down here. Any, any, <laughs> any end goals? Just, hey, just whatever. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, I guess keep doing what I'm doing. And, um, I've been really lucky here to just meet people and kind of collaborate and, and have my work hung up in different cafes and, uh, in, uh, Sang Sang Madang in Busan. And these have been like really great experiences. But, um, like when the pandemic hit, I, I really kind of got stumped creatively. Uh, I put on, a really nice uh showing in busan and then after that that was like i made that project specifically for that gallery showing and then after that i was just kind of wiped out Mm. and i'm still trying to pick up the pieces i think creatively to just find what i want to shoot and actually something that i've been thinking about is just bringing my camera to the hockey rink and just taking pictures of all the different people because there's a certain level of beauty in that and that we're all just kind of transient potentially and you know, you may never see these people again or, you know, how many of these guys have never had their picture taken in their hockey uniform, mm. you know? Uh, so, random, random KHL guy comes by for a game. Right. Like, so it, I met so many interesting people. Yeah. So th- there's a, I think there's a really powerful story to tell there. And I think that's kind of where I'm shifting my, my photographic work is this, this idea of storytelling and, and just kind of, um, you might see a bunch of guys playing beer league hockey, but behind that. It, it, it's so much more i think yeah absolutely the can you speak a little bit to i i'm surprised and amazed at I, I guess it's a certain percentage of all populations that are in the arts but that guy in seoul who paints the he paints the portraits of people in the markets and stuff do you know that have you seen him are you talking about the quick guy that does it on the you mentioned before he'll sit on the subway and no no he's got you, you see him he's on expat dads all the time he he goes and he take he sits down or he takes a picture of oh he takes a, guy a picture in the and then market, he paints it and then he goes back and he gives, and he gives the copy yeah I saw wow that. fantastic it's amazing man. but but I mean that guy and then I mean, but it's more than the artwork at that point oh. when you go back and you give somebody something that yeah. you made for them oh. of them and that, it's, that's it's just it's that's amazing that's amazing beauty, work right yeah. I forget his name I'll I'll put him in the the links or whatever but when I think of Lee Kelly and Jason Teal and you probably know some of the other guys. I mean, there's some amazing photographers here. And I, I said, I guess it's a portion of every society. But I guess thinking, you know, engineers, teachers, international students, whatever. I play hockey. I don't think I don't think I'm that good at hockey. But neither do I. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I think maybe photographers don't think there too. But I just never thought like you'd see that, that quality. I guess I, I didn't not think. But it just surprised me at how good some of these people are at their mm-hmm. at their hobbies. Right. And that this guy is an engineer, but he's an amazing painter. You're a professional teacher, but awesome photographer. And what what can you speak to the network or the community of artists or or photographers Busan here around that you've been able to? Because you say like maybe some some bigger projects or like JT was doing the Olympics and I'm like, man, what an experience! Yeah, you're a teacher in Ulsan and you're the head guy for visa for the Olympics. I mean that's that's a dream. Yeah. Yeah, uh, in terms of just, you know, like shooting Warp Tour or bigger concerts or whatever, it's just kind of just, yeah, it's all about networking, right? It's just who you know, when you talk to them, uh, can this happen, can it work? But um, I like that everybody just kind of is really, for the most part, 
um, when you have a basic understanding of each other and you like each other as humans, that you have a certain level of respect and you want other people to do well, yeah. right? And just being in a circle where everybody just kind of is supportive and it's not cutthroat. And, and maybe that's why people who do it as a hobby right there maybe that's why they they maybe they do better or they enjoy it more is because they're not putting that extra layer of pressure on top of it where it's like oh me and you like there's a wedding this weekend who's going to shoot it me or you mm-hmm. right or whatever <laughs> yeah. um, and like but, you say when you depend on it for you know to feed your family or something <laughs> right. it's different yeah. here's my 3 day time lapse oh sorry man <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So. Well, you could say telling the story, but I think uh, Lee Kelly does a really good job of that. I mean, he's yeah. he kind of documents some of the people in Busan and, and, and you know features them in a lot of his stuff. And I think what I like he tells a lot of cool stories about about him too is his willingness to to take on projects that he doesn't want. You know, he was speaking about doing I don't know if it was baby shoots or, or wedding or, or, or weddings first wedding, wedding shoots, and he's like ah, not necessarily passionate about them, but still has the optimism. He said I can get paid and maybe learn something from it. Right. So but but also I met him at a Christmas thing at Gorilla three years ago, four years ago maybe. Mm-hmm. I was Santa, and uh, he was there as the photographer, and I was like, this is a charity event. I wonder like if this guy's getting paid or what, you know how this works. Because it's, you know, usually you just have a Polaroid and just here you go, here you go. But he had this, and I was like, this guy's kind of serious for a gorilla Santa shoot. But then he had it connected to a printer and they were printing off like four by six proper pictures and putting them in a a paper frame and giving them. And like people were were tickled pink. And we had a donation box there, but he was there giving his time and his services for free. And I thought, wow, this guy's pretty awesome. I, I wonder. You know, the first thought, like, I wonder what's in it for him or whatever. And it, it was nothing, right. especially after having him on, like, learning how much he does and stuff. And I think that's awesome. And the telling the story part is is really a, a cool uh, opportunity that you get through photography. Yeah, this past weekend was the first time that I actually got to spend time with some of those guys. And, the, I mean, it's just just being able to be connected by one common interest is really cool. But everyone has, like, their own take on it. Like I, I shoot old cameras. I shoot only film. I, I, I Ooh. used to do the whole process. Mm. You know, I used to have a film photography club for my middle schoolers at my old school, and and it, it was fun. You know, and I, I, I personally love sharing that knowledge and my excitement. And if someone asked me about it, I could talk to you for hours about it. But each we, one we of those time. guys, for example, <laughs> you know, like like Jason and Lee, like they'll. They could talk your ear off about whatever they know, and and they're happy to share it. And I yeah. think that uh, just after one hangout, that's what makes me really like those guys and and be in their company. Um, but yeah, in my own circle, whether it's online or or back home, the the guy that I I started taking pictures with in high school, he's a he's a fine arts master's degree recipient, and he works at some gallery in in Syracuse. And, you know, it, it's just, it's really nice to, you know, support him along his journey and, and, and be someone who, who's seen that. Oh, only you develop all the film here. Uh, yeah, I used to, I used to, uh, That's awesome, lately man. I just, I take it to the closest lab now, but, uh, yeah, I had the what a skill. Setup. What a skill. That's awesome. The, uh, 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 I feel, I don't know, there's not really a parallel, but like making bread yeah, from, yeah. from scratch. Well, it's just like, the, it's the process, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's the, and uh, I think these days we want to expedite everything and, and skip all the, 
Uh, yeah, try to teach that to a bunch of middle schoolers who like uh, instant gratification. Yeah, 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 yeah. but they, they, you know they they appreciate it. And yeah. and again, it's it's not about the things in front of them. It's the things you're teaching to them through that process. Yeah, right? and that's what he was saying. The delayed satisfaction, like yeah. just hold on for ten minutes, guys, and we're gonna get there. Yeah. <laughs> but, just hold tight. But yeah, imagine like pulling that film out of a dark canister that had nothing on it, you know, and and you hold it up to the light, and the kids see. You know, wow you know it's magic i think back in my life just about the delayed gratification thing sounds funny but um doing karate growing up it took like seven i think seven years to get a black belt yeah so yeah i mean korea's in in fast forward here kids kids (laughs) six months really oh dude it's oh i don't know it's it's super it's babysitting though because they're all elementary kids i mean it's it's just like a factory but that's why I said I put my kids in later so that they actually have to fight and get hit in the face or something because I want them to actually <laughs> right. to learn but that, that's that, self-defense. That's, not... that's that's literal grit, right? But yeah. but it, I think it just comes back to like, like you know, I, I think about my dad and, and how he lived his life and, and all the things we're talking about. It's just like things worth doing take time. Yes. Right? Yes. And and you, you reap so many more rewards if you just put in the work, you know, or put in the time or whatever. But society yeah. is going in a totally different direction. Yeah. Which makes it really, really challenging yeah. for, for, for all those But things. all the more valuable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you keep mentioning balance. And, and I wrote down, it, it seems like you have a really good balance. I mean, I don't, I know you had hockey and stuff and some of the stories around yeah. Busan, whatever. But on the surface, anyways... It seems like you have a really good balance. Like you're like you're winning at life. You you got the good job, you or a fun job that you're passionate about that you like. Uh, if it's riding from Busan to Seoul, if it's hockey, if it's tennis or or photography, it seems like you have. And you don't have kids, man. <laughs> you're laughing. Right. The, that 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 dense everything. I you know it really slowed me down quickly. And now that's the whole focus. And I think I keep thinking like what do I got like 10 more years and then I can kind of get back to my things or cause you know, some, I, I play Fridays. I love playing Fridays cause I can't play Sundays anymore. Right. And, and I got to coach the kids on Saturday, Sunday. So it, it seems like you have a really, you are, we mentioned it lots and I think it seems like you are really well balanced. Would you, would you agree? And then you can get into hockey and some of the other things. That yeah. You yeah. Do. I mean, I, I really try to like pride myself on having balance just because um, I, I think I, you know, I could be an overly emotional person or, or whatever comes with not being balanced. I, mm. I don't want to be unhinged. Mm. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be rock solid emotions and, and shut people out. I want to be empathetic, but, um, I just, uh, my, I lost my parents, uh, pretty quickly in the span of, uh, two years of within one another mm. and both of which were pretty sudden mm. and, uh, I just, you know, some, you asked me earlier, like one of you asked me earlier, like what's your motivation to getting through maybe the dissertation or like those darkest days. But honestly, like that shallows in comparison to, you know, like losing my parents. Mm. And I was here when I lost my mom and I had, I think I lost my dad a year before I came to mm. Korea. So, I mean, you know, Someone else had asked me, "What? How, how do you how do you move forward after you losing your parents? You know, mm. we we live our whole lives trying to just kind of meet their expectations, yada yada yada. And like you said, I don't have kids, but I would imagine that instilling those things and passing those down to your kids is, is huge. Yeah. 
Um, but that that's the thing is like, I'm just kind of, I, I focus on myself and even though I don't have a big extended family, like I feel like my, my friends are my family sure. and I maybe a little bit over emotional and like putting too much value and, and worth on, on the smaller things that I experience every day. But mm-hmm. like, I, I try to really put an emphasis on like really appreciating, you know, like just being here today and mm-hmm. talking to you guys and like, this is really cool, you know, this moment. And, you know, that that's what the photography is. It's like, oh, now I have these moments and I could recall that. Mm. And and that kind of just kind of echoes the things about, you know, I won't have any uh, new experiences with my parents, mm. but that's kind of what I think about is like those moments and, mm. and, and moments build upon each other and they kind of just make me who I am. But I think just being balanced is really important. But yeah. I think sometimes our families are almost like a crutch not to not to get totally engaged in like the smaller details like but like you said losing your parents i think you can really center your focus and and, and really absorb and, and take in these new uh experiences and appreciate friends yeah. and, and stuff like puts that. things like, in perspective really yeah. quick right yeah Absolutely. <clears throat> do you think in terms of where you're born in the history of of time here yeah yeah um do you think that it like I, I look and I think maybe maybe it's an advantage for the balance part of it where I was raised really without computers until like 11 or 12 years old or something. Um, and you're not like these tech kids that come out with a phone in your hand. Right. But you're kind of in the middle where maybe it's an easier adjustment for you to or, or people around your age where you can kind of find. I, I mean, technology was all new to me from from a certain age. Right. But, right kids these days come up and, and text just a general normal part of their life. Right. TV and all this stuff. Like, I mean, <laughs> the TVs were pretty funny. I mean, for me and for my parents, but mm. is, do you think you come from a, maybe a, not a lucky, but a, a, a generation where it's in between stage. Yeah. Man. And is easier to adjust. Yeah. I, I would, I would think that is definitely a, a, a benefit of being able to just kind of, like it's been an easy acclimation, right. I think, right, from one generation to the next. And uh, just where I grew up, like, uh, you know, there was a lot of things on the Internet that, you know, there was no there was no one over my shoulder. Th- things were crazy. And it was just like this this big boom. And like I think these kids uh, now are, are almost born into addiction. Right. With, but, with the right. screens. And but that's the development, too, of the. Of more more addicting games and having and having engineers that are and psychologists or whatever that are paid to to make the most addicting shit. But that's that, what I mean. Like he's still at a stage where he can decide and he can decipher between those. And if you're older, you're kind of like that's crazy shit for the young guys. <laughs> but, like, but to some extent, you can choose. Right? If you're talking about your own kids, you can choose kind of what they're what they're exposed to. For example, but I think it's obvious these days that people aren't choosing or they're not. They're not connected enough to their kids or, to be able to choose. Or it's harder to choose. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and there's, come on, all these things, man, how to monitor your kids' phones. Like, the next day, they have a, a way around that. Like, right. they got the detour figured out already. What do you what do you think about China's new policy? Oh, you know what? I brought it up in a few different places, classes, whatever. I I think some of it might be necessary. You, you look at it and say communist, but we ban, I mean, smoking, you know, took a big hit, whatever, mm-hmm. 20 years ago. And I mean, I think that it should be the same for it was in my global issues class. It's drastic, but 
we're going it's drastic times man we're going in a downward spiral here pretty quick i mean the mental health stuff is getting out of control the that's a big argument against it right but how much control do you want to give Ooh, little little scary and in in some ways you do yeah i mean you look in the states with the gun guys they don't want to give up one step because it is on you know it's a it's a slippery slope man i think in some uh, in some respects and today you know in china they might be doing the it's for kids 18 and under and then it's the the government companies uh, you're not performing as well we need to cut your your stuff too who knows but i think there has to be some regulation some guideline it can't just be a free for all you know well, the they... obesity the heart disease the screen things it's i mean where where what's the future look like well it's got to be a, a big problem before they start doing it and i think technology still relatively new right it's only less or 15 years since the what was it 2007 when iphone came out 14 uh, oh god it's going downhill fast <laughs> 14 years but who knows anyways i got a couple are you going anywhere else or no i got know. a couple other uh do you, well do you do anything else hockey photography yeah i was actually i was now that we were talking about when you wake up and you you know you wonder how many messages you miss or whatever i think uh that that's one thing that i wish i could balance more of you know like my own screen time and use and uh just like uh not filling up every minute of my day like uh i think one of my optimizations yeah one of my imbalances is like just like someone asked me to do something and they they just asked me like hey are you free at two o'clock on saturday and i'll I'll have something at 12 and i'll have something at four and i'll be like oh yeah i'm free you know but like i don't i don't think about what that does to me on that day i'm bad at that yeah i'm really bad at that or my wife or my family or it's like, but we, we, like I've been going since early yesterday morning, yeah. straight through to tonight, and I'm not, I'm not very See that, good at See, I used to be like that with with work, man. Like if I had thirty minutes free, I'd like try to set up a phone class, or just like every every second was almost accounted for, and then it grinded me, man. It just it wasn't the the again, it was work. And it felt like work. It wasn't right. right it right, wasn't right. meeting friends or or whatnot. But right. I learned just you gotta. Sometimes just doing nothing's the the best thing you can do. Yeah, but couple couple general ones, couple specific ones. If you could, if you could move, if you could travel or another school or another location, is there anything that that's on your radar as somewhere you might entertain in terms uh, of working? I don't know. Uh, I I mean I've heard some of the really nice uh, schools can be found in like uh, Japan and Korea and Taiwan, Singapore, Hong Kong. And I guess it, it really depends if, you know, it the school matches the teacher or vice versa. So, you know, you got to be a good fit and, and things like that. But uh, I'm really happy where I'm at, actually, both in terms of where I'm working and where I'm living. Uh, Busan's got a little bit of everything. Yeah, and it's a fun city. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Busan for sure. So Nice. Um, you mentioned research. You're not doing any research now. Looking ahead, are you interested, or is that on the radar? Or are you looking at any potential yeah, I, research projects, or yeah, not, maybe not even like uh, projects, but just kind of be more involved in kind of writing articles or even something simple. Uh, I'm part of a couple of computer science teacher organizations and associations that are worldwide. That usually they're more obviously based in the states and North America, but I would love to just find a nugget of time and find something worthwhile writing about, even if it's like, you know, the things we talked about today could be really helpful to some teacher who might be struggling because a lot of computer science teachers aren't computer science majors because mm-hmm. the pay is way better in the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And, you know, a lot of, you know, core subject teachers might, you know, uh, be asked to teach computer science, but they don't know how or what the best methods are. Or whatever they use in their math class might not work in computer science. Yeah. And, and maybe I could just, I want to just share my experiences to maybe help someone else out. If you had kids or you were advising nieces, nephews, my kids, uh, again, it has to fit. But what do you think is on average or... And, and you know, I understand it's all. But if we all had the same opportunities, what would you choose if if you had kids or you were advising your nephews or nieces or somebody um, in terms of private uh, or or IB AP or or private public and the the hybrid school uh, back home? What what would you envision? What would you think? Because because I think we I mean. I think I have options, but actually, I think maybe I don't have options. I mean, I just assume my kids are going to public school. But when I see all your posts and I see all the stuff, I'm like, oh, man, I'd love my kids to have those opportunities. Maybe my kids would hate those opportunities. I don't know. But I, I wonder if I'm doing enough or, or should I give them those chances or those opportunities? Would they waste them? I don't know. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, like you said, it, it matters on on the fit. And, you know, what, what are you what are you interested in or a lot of sometimes parents just they want to know like uh what's what's the most lucrative uh uh not jobs but you right. know like fields and and they want to make sure that their their child will have more opportunities as they take their next step and and that's totally valid um and i don't know it's just it, it's it's hard to say because it, it, it i i would like to leave it up to the student ultimately and, and what they enjoy doing, but won't end up hate doing, but they won't know that until right, unfortunately yeah. they get there. Right. right. <laughs> it, it, it comes with, you know, wisdom comes with experience and, and you, you have to wait that out. So some people in, in really crappy schools can make the best of it. And some people in the best schools totally waste their, totally waste their opportunity. Right. It, it comes down. That's to the, the dilemma. It comes down to the, how do you know what to do? It comes down to the kid and what. Uh, I mean, we're lucky here. Do. The public school system is is really good, and having half Korean kids up to elementary. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think, but that will be the dilemma. And I if I I hope they can, but you know, if your kid says, "Hey, Dad, I want to go to that Canadian school," well, sweetie, I don't have money for that school, so you're going to the regular one. I mean, that also plays a big part. I of doubt it. That our kids would say. That. I think it would be more of a like. You're going to that Canadian school, you know, like. Yeah, I, I mean, I would prefer to save the money for something else, but um, I don't know if I would, if I would encourage that. I mean, unless they showed. That's you know, what I'm saying. They're, they're not gonna, they're not gonna be bothering you to, to, to move schools and leave their friends. I think it would be more the parents' decision to, to yeah. throw them in there. But, um, last one for me. You said you know, Dad kind of expected you to, to level up to, to be the next the next generation or whatever and you know masters and dissertation and everything else um do you see that continuing in the future like where we're moving now to online degrees and online schooling and now with the pandemic i mean it just seems so many more options and so much more flexibility do you see the the masters the doctorate the the phds do you see all that stuff continuing the way it is now or do you think it's going to be drastically different or, or maybe the the whole school system um yeah i mean i professionally have had to adapt in ways i never thought i would have to 
um, whether it be fully virtual and, you know, teaching from home or uh, hybrid and having group A and group B come in and out of the classroom every other day. And, um, you know, I think obviously some of those things will stick, you know, Zoom, if Zoom or, you know, just video conferencing in general, not the company, but, you know, just having those options uh, does, you know, you have to answer questions. I think educational leaders need to answer those questions is like, you know, uh, do we really need to have like snow days anymore? Because <laughs> you could just hold a virtual class from home exactly. now. Yeah. Right. And I don't know, does, does that, does that change things so bad or does it, does it overstretch teachers or, you know, you have to answer these questions and, uh, I, I do not have the answers for that. I but, hope you didn't just kill snow days. Yeah, <laughs> That's but, like a highlight of the I, winter where I'm from. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, here we have uh, typhoon days and, and, you know, maybe that's something, you know, that people have to think about, you know. But again, uh, I I prefer uh, in-person learning, obviously. I think, right. I think that's the best way to do it. There'll uh, always be, yeah, there, there's always... That, that's always going to be the best the best choice again i just think it the the setting will probably always be the classroom or some version of a classroom and and those things that or the things that we're learning will just become tools later uh we just hopefully we we use them with you know like good intentions and, and making sure that we're doing the right thing and not taking advantage of of people or you right. know overexerting ourselves sweet Back to balance. Yeah. Wonderful. Dude, anything else? No. That's awesome. Yeah. Just over just thanks. over two hours. Dylan, thanks so much, man. Oh, yeah, no problem. That uh, was a hell of a convo. Anyways, thank you, uh, everyone, for listening. We'll, uh, we'll catch you guys again soon. Bye-bye. Sweet sassy molassy. Please don't forget to check out our sponsor, Dr. English. It's your one-stop shop for all your English conversational needs. Enjoy learning from the comfort of your own home. Call 010-4591-1496 for a free sample class. Take your English to the next level by visiting their website now, www.dr-english.com.